Under the Influence Podcast is all about bringing together brands, influencers, thought leaders, and communities to inspire and empower a positive impact. Each week, I will dive into the power of influence over the ever-changing, trend-chasing, and slightly obsessed entrepreneurial and influencer community. We talk insider tips, tricks, the latest buzz, and even our top not-so-secret happy hour cocktails. My name is Whitney Eckes. I'm the owner and founder of Eckes Marketing and the Influence Movement. And we are about to get under the influence. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are at the beautiful Guild Hotel in San Diego. This hotel is so near and dear to my heart. I've just completely fallen in love with it. I've fallen in love with the process. I've fallen in love with you. And we are here today with my dear friend, Sorme. She's actually the lead interior designer of this incredible, incredible place. So welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. You should be. And, you know, we just did this fabulous tour. We got to see the rooms. We got to see literally all the different colors and aesthetics within here. And it's incredible. Kind of want you to tell us about the story behind the Guild because it actually is a pretty historical landmark in San Diego, is it not? Yeah. So the building is a 1924 YMCA building. It's one of the most traveled through buildings um, really of all time. And it started obviously as a YMCA for the Army Navy. It was a cultural epicenter. Through the years, it started to degrade. It fell apart. It was really inundated with uh, nasty things (laughs) and horror stories that don't get mentioned anymore. I was going to say, aren't there a couple of ghost stories? Yeah, there's a few. (laughs) We won't mention them. We'll mention them on the the next episode. It's too pretty to mention. (laughs) And towards kind of 2013, it was uh, a hostel and it was still being run as a YMCA. And when my client picked it up, he just had a vision to turn it into a San Diego landmark. And that's what we did. We turned it into a, a hotel, the Guild Hotel, and it's meant to serve the local population as well as travelers. And I love that, you know, I want to really dive into the interior design too, because I mean, you are so intentional with even right down to the colors and how the whole, if you, you know, we will show you guys, but the entire lobby is actually like a red, white, and blue theme. And when I say red, white, and blue, I'm not talking about like red, white, and blue, but like when you walk in, you kind of go through these different little cubbies of these different colors and it all is just married together so perfectly. So before we dive into all the interior design and all your intentions, I want to talk about you and how you got started because me and you have been friends for what, a year and a half, two years now? Yes. I would say so. And I met you through all the old hospitality industry that I was a part of before I started Agus Marketing. And you were this amazing interior designer that they had brought in for this project. And you actually designed another LA icon, the nice guy. I did. Yeah. So I got my start. I went to school for architecture. I grew up in Sweden. So when I moved to LA, I was very kind of overstimulated, but it was really uh, head in boots on the ground. I got my start as a hospitality designer. I was the creative director for a group designing the nice guy shore Mm -hmm. bar, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And so did you go to school for this? I know you said you came from Sweden. 
Yes, I went to school for architecture. <laughs> I went to school for architecture in CU Boulder. Okay. And I graduated early. And uh, when I got done with school, I thought I wanted to move back to Europe. And at the time, I really wanted to design for change. And I thought that that meant that I needed to go save the world and I needed to go design shelters out of America. And when I moved to LA, I realized there are other ways to create change and that if we start to build environments for people, then those people can create the change. So hospitality in Los Angeles really kind of gave me the platform to do that, Mm -hmm. where I could say, okay, well, it's not me necessarily having my hand in this kind of mass creation, but if I could create an experience for somebody, if they come in for dinner and it sparks conversation and ideas, then they can go do that work. I love that. I, I love that. And what was like the like moment where you're like, I need a design. I and not even design, you know, because you're already such a creative, but you wanted to go into this interior design. Like where where was that moment? When did that happen? So it happened when my brother was going to school for architecture at the time, and I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And I, um, yes. yep, I was on a walk with him for his school project, and there was something about the way that the shadows were interacting with the buildings on this walk that just brought me back to childhood. And I started remembering, you know, I didn't play with Barbie. I built Barbie's house. I built the Lego houses. I was obsessed with The Sims. Wow. I'd build these 20, 30,000 square foot houses because I didn't speak full English. So I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> but it took my Sims a couple hours to go to their bedroom. And I think it just kind of, it happened naturally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, you know, you, one of the things I love most about you is your passion behind any design, any project. I mean, the conversations that me and you have had when you referenced the nice guy or even when you were spending so much time on the Guild, you were very intentional behind every design. So I want you to kind of talk about, let's start with the lobby. Let's start with this red, white, and blue theme and tell me about, you know, all the different intentional designs within the Guild. I think what makes my company very unique is that I'm extremely involved. Mm -hmm. And no matter the, the scale of a project, I really truly believe that the details are what make the space. So I don't design from a place of ego or from what I think is going to be cool. I design from a place of the people and what I think the people are going to enjoy. And with the Guild particularly, we really wanted to give something back to the Mm -hmm. city of San Diego. And it's very difficult to merge that with the traveler. It's a great kind of a hangout, but still a place that's very comfortable and feels like a hotel. So the lobby for me really is a focus on different ways to converse and the zones are set up to do that. So the concept for me was compression and release and in design, it was five o'clock summer in Europe. Oh my goodness. What, what an incredible concept. Okay. Continue. I just love that five o'clock somewhere, but in Europe. Yep. So, (laughs) you know, I think it's, it's interesting because we all have Uh, With social media, we now have this ability to transport ourselves Mm -hmm. visually in ways that we weren't able to do so. And I really wanted to create a feeling. And I think a lot of the times people ask me, what's the favorite part of the project? And I always say it's it's when people come in and it's watching that guy put his feet up on the table or watching those girls have a drink and laughing. It's the way people make space their own and especially public space because you see them kind of get into a comfort that they might not even do at home. You know, they'll put their feet up on the furniture because it's not their space, (laughs) but you can tell that they like it enough because they took the time. Okay, that's giving me anxiety. 
society that people would put their feet on these gorgeous tables. Oh, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I I love that you talk about that. And I love that you created it, you know, the lobby and even, I mean, we're going to go into the rooms in a second, but a but a place for people to converse and a place for them to have. And you can totally see that. And when we show, you know, the parts of it or when we kind of walk through everything, there are multiple different areas for people to really make it their own. Speaking of the details, when you really look, you start to understand that. So in areas where there's high traffic, the chairs swivel. So you can kind of turn your back if you were to find that there's a lot of people walking by you. There's a zone kind of, I call it the white area, and and it's the conversation pit, and it allows you to turn away from people and just have conversations with your friends. And then there are areas where you're on display, and that really really says something about the person. And I like to think of it as a a very successful place to go out to is a place you can go back to and have a different experience at. I love that. So let's talk about Luca. So Luca is this essentially restaurant in the center of the hotel, and it's an open-air restaurant, correct? Correct, yeah. So tell me the inspiration behind that. Tell me the design. It's black and white. It's stunning. I mean, you feel like you're kind of like in this like very old, classic, you know, I I don't want to say Beverly Hills Hotel kind of vibe, but it has this really old classic vibe to it, and it's stunning. Yeah, so when I came onto the project, the south wall wasn't even there, and there was no floor. There was scaffolding everywhere. It looked nothing like it looks now. (laughs) And I went to the San Diego Historical Society and I went through every photo they had of the building. And I found this photo and it was dated 1926. And it was this group of people having a dinner party. And there was something so timeless and effortless about the way they were experiencing the space. And I knew I wanted to bring that to Luca. Yeah. So my inspiration was the Rivieras, which is, which is what it feels like. That's You know what? You nailed it. And it is so timeless. Yeah, totally. And in there, because we have so much color in the lobby, um, the art is the food and the food is the color. So the palette strips away that sensory experience that you have in the lobby and you can kind of focus on what you're eating or drinking. I love that. And I mean, the food looks delicious. I'm, I told you I'm going to go there after this for lunch. I, you can't stop me. I'm going. And I'm, you know, I, when you walk out there, it's, I, I've seen so many people that just look like they're enjoying themselves. I mean, on top of all of your influencers that have been in and out of the scene, just grabbing photos any place they can, because I mean, it's absolutely stunning in here. But I love that when you walk out there, I mean, it's it's private though. There's a, there's a sense of closeness. And then you have the courtyard too, right? That's right out on the other side. And that kind of has a little bit of a similar look to it, right? With the black and white umbrellas. Yeah, the, the garden really is meant to give you an urban feeling because you're flanked by these two buildings. Whereas Luca is meant to be kind of anywhere. And yeah. because it's just four walls and there's plants, you really can pretend like you are anywhere. There's no reference that tells you you're in San Diego. There's no reference that tells Mm -hmm. you you are or are not on vacation. It's just kind of your space. And I think that's so perfect because now when we go into the rooms, it is, like you said, kind of a nod to San Diego. And one of the things that you did that I don't think a lot of people know, because I just found this out, was that you actually worked and found artists within the San Diego area, correct? And brought their artistry back to life. Yeah. So as, um, as a transplant, because I moved out here a year and a half ago for the hotel, 
I, my first instinct was, okay, let me find all the museums and let me find all of the artist communities. And I struggled. Yeah. It was very difficult at first. And I would find a museum and it would be closed for renovation. And I would go to Balboa Park and I would just see these giant sculptures and these murals. And I would think, well, someone created that Mm -hmm. and who has the answers? Mm -hmm. So I went back to the San Diego Historical Society and I asked them, you know, do you have anything about artists? And sure enough, they did. They had a whole book full of artists from San Diego, but these were just pictures. So it kind of started my research. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite parts of the design process is the research. And I, um, there's this part that production designers usually reference in film. And they say that a lot of the cues are meant for the actors. It's not meant for the person viewing okay. the movie. So, for example, if the movie is 1924, the coins next to the bed are all 1924. And as a person watching the show, we might not see that. So for me, I really wanted to celebrate that same concept. That is such an interesting concept. So yeah. you're saying that actually it's kind of to put the actors into that time period. Correct. And it's almost like a subconscious. Correct way to keep them engaged with with whatever they're supposed to be doing within that scene or that movie. Yep. Yep. So by pulling these artists and putting their bio on the wall, there's a sense of connection to a history or to a past within the community that you wouldn't have known if you didn't take the time to look. And I think it's very special because as you said, it's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. Not everybody knows it. And at first they'll look at the plaque and they'll wonder, well, that's cute, but like, what is it? Yeah. And until you kind of really ask and, you know, question it, you don't really recognize the the connection. Right. And I, I also noticed too, you know, that you, you did all this research, but then you were so into your design that you actually had custom pieces of art made as well as custom fixtures, custom, I mean, right down to the bar area you had pretty much every design made custom. Explain that process. I mean, what made you, how, how do you follow that vision? How do you think of designing something that custom? What it is, is it's a level of control that really sells the story. Mm-hmm. I think when you're creating something that isn't super flashy, you're not creating a very uh, overly, overly stimulating space, you really have to think about the details. Yeah. So like you said, down to the paper clip that goes on the menu, I had those mass produced out of the country because the way they <laughs> fit on the menu, there was nothing that could fit the kind of boundary. And in the rooms, I really wanted to tell that artist's story, but there was no way to tell it because mm-hmm. art is very private, privately owned. So Mm -hmm. you can't just pick up art pieces from a lot of artists and you can't print photos of people because that's a privacy act. So I'd run into all these issues and they led me to this idea that I could explore a concept of the artist and the muse. And for me, the guild, it has a lot of kind of meanings to a lot of people, the word itself. But to me, it was all about the artisans and all of these artists were part of the artisan guild. That is, I mean, wow, what what a complete tie-in. I mean, it all makes sense. So tell me what kept you, you know, this was a super long project. I mean, I can't imagine building a hotel, let alone designing it. I have a hard enough time designing my bedroom. So like how, what kept you passionate? What, what was that driving force that kept you coming back to this project and kept you creative? For me, it's very simple. It's people. And so I knew that if I gave up, then I would never get to the point where I would see people enjoy the space. 
And it isn't, I think about it a lot. It isn't from a place of ego where most people who know me know that if you give me a compliment, I I like look away and I'm very awkward. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because I really, I, I believe that I, I designed through me and not by me. And I really, I get a lot of joy out of watching people have conversations in space. And I think, you know, just the same way we're having this conversation here, it, creates this kind of out of body experience for me. And yeah. a lot of the times, you know, I'm, I'm on the Instagram tag place just to watch like the stories <laughs> that people tag of themselves yeah. here. I, I love that. I love that you're so captivated by the way people move within your space and, mo- and experience your design. So did you ever experience burnout? Was that, you know, I feel like the majority of people that listen to the show, they either have their own businesses, mainly women owned or women started and, or they're looking to start their own business. And so I think one of the things that I, I have to go there with you is that since this was such a long-term project, you know, did you experience burnout? And if so, what, what kept you pushing through it? You know, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly when, but once I was experiencing burnout, it was very unavoidable. Right. Um, I think what happens with a lot of empowered, strong females in particular is that there's a level of people taking advantage once they realize that you can do more than you can do. Mm. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we compromise our own well-being because we feel empowered. And for me, particularly, I have a complex where where I like to feel needed. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, which in this case, be the project manager or construction manager, then I have a very hard time saying no. (laughs) And so when you put me in the place of having to play all sides, burnout happens. I think that is such a good, valuable tip too, because I think you're 100% right. I think especially when we are in our sphere of work or our sphere of skill, um, we feel very attached, right? Or we feel like we want to give it our all or that we are very invested. So naturally there is that sense of, okay, well I can do more and I can invest more. And you know, this is such my baby to me that I can make it even, I can do more. Well, I used to be told a lot that I'm so emotional. And now as an adult, I laugh at that because, <laughs> because my emotional side is why I'm able to create. Yeah. So if you're, if you try and use that as a weapon against me, like that's, that's laughable because right. that's why I'm able to say, well, how does this fabric feel? You know, somebody asked me, well, why didn't you do wicker chairs outside? And I said, well, if you're a girl and you've ever worn shorts, you know why I didn't do wicker chairs outside. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. <laughs> So with burnout, I think what happens is it's a sense of ownership. And for me, with every single burnout, I learn something. Yeah. And with the next one, I avoid the one previous and I might have a different version of one. But eventually I'd like to think that I I get to a place where I can start to see the trigger. Yeah. And I can act a little bit faster to to move around it. But the best way to push through is just knowing that you have something to lose, right? If you've spent this much time creating something, giving something your all, if you walk away, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that saying, like, if a tree fell in the forest and no one was there, did it happen? Yeah. That's kind of the quote that I replay. That's incredible. And I think, too, you know, for anybody in the creative industry, I feel like that's something that you know, happens quite often, right? You know, you work on these long-term projects or you're working on a project and you run into it and it is, you know, finding these different ways to inspire yourself. You know, you keep referencing, you would go back to the way of watching people. 
or watching people experience the space or the design. And, you know, I think having those moments of truly engaging with what gave you that inspiration in the first place and what kept you passionate is such a good way to kind of break through it. The nice guy, they just celebrated their five year. And to this day, I can still smell the orange zest that was freshly kind of grated and placed (laughs) in the first drink of service on the opening day. And it's all because of those kind of emotional connections that we feel. Yeah. And and I think for me with design, if I'm truly designing for people to experience, then there's an endless amount of inspiration in that, right? It, It just is never going to end. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about someone that was a very big influence on you. You know, being an interior designer, I have to imagine there's some people that you look up to or just some people that really inspire you and even give you new fresh ideas. I went to a listening event. I don't really know what you call them, a speaker series. Okay. And one of the most notable things this creative person said to me was that he goes to medical conventions and he's a creative and he said he goes just to watch how other people think and problem solve. And, I, and he's not he's not into medical. He's not into he just medical. goes to watch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, that is it's, incredible. It sounds odd at first, but for me, I have a very similar mentality. I don't learn design by watching designers while I enjoy watching them. With design, we often have to think one, two, three years ahead. So right now we'll look at this space and we'll say, wow, it's so on trend. It's got a lot of velvet, but you have to think back to three years ago or two years ago when I first created it and there was no velvet. Right. So we're trying to constantly stay ahead of a trend. So therefore you can't reference other designers because they're all doing the same. Right. So what happens is you have to turn to other things. And for me, a lot of that is fashion, artists, different types of artists, musical artists, watching trends. Uh, I find inspiration in like leaves on a plant (laughs) or the pattern in your skirt or the way that the cotton feels on your body. And again, I think when you remove yourself from a very specific source, there's a, a world of influence out there. That is incredible. I I absolutely love that. Was there anybody in your life when you were starting your business before you even really kind of went after the nice guy or went after these major, major projects that was like, Sorme, go, you know, do this. Like, was there anybody that was like, you know, kind of my dad, your dad. (laughs) When I went to school, I was very nurtured by my teachers Um, I think growing up in Sweden, I always thought a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I experienced the school system very differently. And my college professors, they were always encouraging me to do more. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, they set me up for success, but also failure. uh, Because when I came out into the real world, nothing was enough. Being treated poorly just wasn't going to be acceptable to me. Being spoken to, you know, in in a demeaning way wasn't going to be okay to me. And my, my dad, he said something to me one time when I, I'd come back from Burning Man, my first trip back in 2012. Okay, we need to also talk about this because that is yeah. new to me. Yeah, I love that, but continue. Built the temple when I was there my second <laughs> year. But my dad, he said, you know, I really admire the way that you are living your life and the way you're experiencing your life. You know, me and your mom, we've been in these careers for 40 years and we've, we've been stuck 
but we do it because we don't have a choice to say no. And I think with our generation, we're like all getting very spoiled, Mm -hmm. but also we're learning our worth. Absolutely. You know, I, there's so many different directions we can go off that because I think that right now we are in such an interesting time. We're in this really unique, you know, kind of phase where millennials are not only having just one career, they're having multiple. And there's a lot of side hustle going on. There's a lot of freelancing. There's a lot of working for yourself and, or starting your own brand and business without, you know, creating brick and mortar. You know, you can really start your own business just through Instagram. So I, I, I think you're totally spot on about knowing your worth because we're having to work a little bit harder. It's not just the nine to five anymore. It's multiple jobs. And we're also having to keep up with the cost of living, especially in California. And it is just a very interesting, interesting time right now. Well, it's, it's also difficult because we don't have the same tangible metrics. Yeah. Right. If, if I had a brick and mortar, it'd be very easy to say, oh, I can't pay my electrical bills because I didn't sell enough of this product. Right. But when you have your hand in multiple pockets and you have to constantly define your worth and you have to do market research just to make yourself feel justified for your worth. Yeah. It's a whole different ballgame. So for those listening, you know, how were you, how did you start to learn your worth? I mean, how did you define how much you're going to charge or, you know, how many hours this is going to take? How did you kind of discover that? It's definitely a a learning ever kind of growing process for me. I think it depends on what industry you're in, but your best resource really are your peers. Yeah. And finding the peers that are willing to have the conversation with you. So yeah. For me, particularly, I had some design friends in different states and it was easy to ask what I would do is I would send them maybe a pitch that I was getting and I would say, hey, what would you charge for this? Just no extra information yeah, just to see. And if their number was outlandish compared to mine, it would make me feel a little bit strange and maybe I should reevaluate what I'm charging and am I kind of thinking of myself as lower? And I think the first time I lost a project because my fee was quote unquote, too high was the best feeling I had ever had because (laughs) I thought to myself, I know how I work. Mm -hmm. So if I lower my fee too much, it's going to lead to burnout much faster and it leads to resentment. You know, it really does. And I think that's something too that I've shared with you just as a friend that I've even had to encounter this last year. And I actually, I mean, it's happened. I'm sure it's happened multiple times now that I look back, but there was one in particular client that we really wanted and she was amazing. And it was just really set up for this awesome client relationship. And at the end of the day, we didn't win the bid. And I went back to her kind of just woman to woman. And I was like, you know, I am just curious. I completely understand, you know, you have to do what's best for your company. I have to do what's best for mine, but you know, what, what learnings can I take away for so that next time I can win the bid? And she said, honestly, it came down to price. And it is one of those feelings where it's like, well, shoot, should I cut a deal? Should I have negotiated harder? Should, like, you know, am I coming off crazy or way too expensive? And at the end of the day, it, it's not that, you know, at the end of the day, some of my best client relationships are the ones that I kind of threw out a really large number and I landed, but it's because they have this trust. It's because they understand well, that they value you, they value you and they value the price point. And I, I 100% agree with you that if you're going after a cheaper price point, just cause you want to land the deal, most of the time it's not 
not going to work out in your favor. And I'm sure you can probably attest to that as well. Yeah. And I personally am the same way with my own team. So I keep a very flexible team and I hire when I need to, but I hire when I need to so that I can pay them above market. And it genuinely makes for a much better process. And they always, there's this expression in business and it's, you either pay for it in money or in a headache. And that's, (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. You're going to end up Wait, paying I've for it. I've never heard that. Yeah. That's my new, that's my new motto. You either pay for it. Wait, what'd you say? With a headache. With a headache. With money. With yeah. money. Oh, I love so that. Ultimately, <laughs> it comes down to if you want to be very cheap and if you want to devalue people and you want to put them down, sure, maybe you get them to take mm-hmm. on the project, but things start to go wrong or they yeah. burn out or they feel undervalued and it gets complicated. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, I love that you talked about going to your peers because I think that's another huge valuable takeaway, right? I think one of the best things I could have ever done in business was that I went after the two CEOs of PR and marketing agencies that I was like, I I wanna be you. And to have them just even give me a little bit of insight really helped me launch my business into a new kind of area, a new whole new environment. So I love that. Well, it also gives you kind of a fresh take at who they are, right? If they're taking the time to speak to you, that alone is admirable. And it gives you a new marker to kind of work towards. I love it. Absolutely. So let's talk social media. Let's talk this influencer trend. Let's talk all the things that are happening because you're there. And I want to know, you know, the ways in which you feel like social media is impacting things like a new hotel opening or impacting the way that people are able to find out about a new space. Yeah. Yeah, I think social media, you know, it's a a love hate for everybody. A lot of my hate for social media comes from my lack of knowledge, to be honest, and kind of the, the helplessness. Right. And, and I think the people who do it for a living, I admire them. You know, it's so much work. (laughs) It, It is, it's a lot of work and it's one of those things that's undervalued, but the value of it is invaluable. Mm-hmm. And and I think at first, as with anything, you know, there's a learning curve. But once people start to understand the importance, they'll start to understand how to utilize kind of the resources. And with a hotel opening, with a business starting, it's everything. Marketing today is the most important thing that you can do for your business. And it's not necessarily expensive marketing but it is a connecting marketing, giving people something that they can connect to and giving them a reason to come back. I think, I think you nailed it. I think, you know, I was just talking with someone, actually my girlfriend last night, we went to a new uh, menu cocktail launch and we were kind of chatting and I was like, you know, it's so interesting because the ways of marketing that I had learned and studied in school are completely archaic compared to what we do now. Yeah. As a, as an example, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but the drink, one of the drinks that someone Instagrammed in their story from the event that you were at, yeah. I screenshotted and shared with five of my friends all because it was something to talk about, right? It was the one that had Palo Santo and an amethyst and a tarot yes. card. You know, it's responding to what people want that gets people talking. And I, I think that's it. I think that is the new way of communicating, you know, again, kind of referencing the millennial generation and even generation, what is it, Z? Z? Generation Z, I should know that. Anyway, you know, you can't market to them. You can't put an advertisement in their face. You can't put a billboard in their face. Like, you know, you can't even do, I mean, now we're even seeing this huge transition out of Instagram and Facebook ads that aren't working anymore. 
And so I think you're right. I think finding number one, identifying who your consumer is. And then, like you said, making a personal connection, you know, I mean, how many influencer girls that, you know, use Palo Santo every morning went to that cocktail party and lost their minds because there was a cocktail with Palo Santo. in Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because the hotel specifically attracts a lot of girls who want to photograph themselves in the space. It totally does. And that's it's it speaks to that. Right. It's the palette or the color or they think it's a good neutral backdrop for Mm -hmm. their jewelry or whatever it is they're showcasing. And it's that's not something most people would have thought would be the results, right? You think hotel, it must attract people who are going to sleep here or eat here, but you don't think, oh, it's attracting this whole new group of businesses or people. And did, did that kind of cross your mind when you were creating this, you know, we in kind of in the event production or even social media, you know, when I send my team out on site for an event, but you know, when I do send my team out or even when I help, you know, curate an event, we always call it like these Instagrammable moments. And I actually believe that Ali from be social coined that term. If I'm, and I'm stealing it and using it, applying it to my business, but you know, it is creating that moment because there is this generation, there is this consumer that goes to places to curate content. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's interesting because that Instagrammable moment, it's always been there in the form of a step and repeat. You know, we yeah. think about we think about all of these galas. But what we look at is people's photos on the red carpet. That wow. was the way that we used to look to and reference who was there. What were they doing? And with design, I think the most difficult part is that at some point you hand it over. Mm-hmm. So you can only curate this ideal of an experience that you want the space to embody, but you don't have the control to see it through fully. Yeah. So so the best thing you can do is really the Instagrammable moments is thinking about ways in which maybe somebody, if they want to, could come use it that way, which is kind of what this the zone has become. And uh, yeah, so, so you did, you thought about that, right? Like, was that, I in, did. I mean, cause I mean, you kind of have to nowadays. And it's difficult because you're up against a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of review meetings um, with Marriott and maybe some people didn't really understand why I wanted an entire blue area, but now <laughs> they do, you yes, know, <laughs> now absolutely. they do. It's, it's on the cover of Modern Luxury San Diego and yeah. et cetera. But it is something that people start <laughs> to understand after the fact. And what I'm hoping for is that it becomes more of a before fact. Yeah. But I think we're not designing a restaurant, so mm-hmm. we can't design one million Instagrammable moments. Right. We have to be subtle. Yeah. And I, 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 I was just going to say that because I feel like we are even seeing these restaurants pop up where the design is so over the top. And, you know, I, I kind of laugh because I kind of mentioned morning glory. And the more that I read on the backstory behind the two people that own contortion holdings, they, they weren't about that. They weren't about the Instagrammable. They were about creating something that was so unbelievable and different and anti this kind of influencer trend. But at the end of the day, I mean, maybe they didn't create it to be that way, but there's 20 other restaurants that literally now have selfie stations inside the restaurant. They designed the bathroom in order for selfies. It's it's this whole new wave of design because it is, at the end of the day, marketing. I think it's not just marketing, it's free marketing. Yeah. Right? And that's 
That's really ultimately what it comes down to. The bathrooms here are very Instagrammable. They're gorgeous. And the point for me really was, I mean, I think just because you might not be the person who is going to do it doesn't mean other people are not. So whether or not their intention was to create those types of spaces, it's up to the people. And that's what I said. Like, that's what I said throughout the entire process of this. People are going to decide what this is. We're not going to decide. We can say it's a hotel. It's a this. But. The people who come through ultimately would, will decide. See, he's got his feet up over there. <laughs> I love it. I I, I want us. I mean, we're, we're going to show everybody, you guys, this incredible space, but it's actually really cool doing the podcast here and kind of seeing everyone interact as we kind of have a conversation about it. It just feels very alive in here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and dive into some rapid fire questions. These are my favorite. Are you ready? No. <laughs> You're ready. Okay. okay, so we're going to start off with your favorite go-to cocktail. Ooh, I love myself a good mocktail. Fresh, minty, citrusy, but I don't really like sugar. Okay. So what? Do you, give, me, give me a drink of choice. I would not know the name of one if I tried. <laughs> I, typically, typically, my favorite drink is whatever she's having. I love it. I love it. That's great. I would have to say... I wasn't drinking tequila for a bit and then I got back on my spicy margarita train. But recently I've been like just kind of dabbling with like the Aperol, the Aperol, Aperol movement. Ooh, I know it's like way so too- unexpected. I know it's kind of I, I hate to say it. I for all of you guys out there that love Aperol spritz, I get it. But it's also a little basic of me. So I'm like dabbling like there was this really, really interesting one, I believe yesterday. And it was uh, it was an egg white cocktail served in a coupe glass and it had some type of Aperol in it and it tasted amazing. So I've been giving that a try lately. Yeah, I um cocktails are very new for me. Mm-hmm. I used to just be a shot girl. <laughs> so that's that's really kind of how that goes. So now I, I'm scared to dabble. Sorry showed her true colors. <laughs> I, I love it. Man. I I know. So okay, yeah, side side note, you built a temple out in Burning Man. Yeah. I'm gonna that's literally gonna be the name of this episode. It's just cool. the girl that built a temple at Burning Man. <laughs> I'm kidding. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. But okay. So tell me about what is your favorite Instagram to stalk right now? I'm loving Benjamin Edgar, Virgil Abloh, Whitney Eckes. Oh, that's always a good one. That one's very, very good. (laughs) If you haven't checked it out, you should. Which one are are you stalking me on? Is it Instagram? All of them. Oh, okay. You know, Eckes Marketing, Influence, uh, all of them. It's just, you know, it's it's a job running all those accounts. I'll tell you what, man. But it's a good resource. Thank you. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. Okay. The first two, though. Elaborate on the first two. Are they designers? Because I haven't heard of them. Yeah. Um, Well, Virgil Abloh, he is currently dabbling in Louis Vuitton. He has his own off-white clothing brand. Wow. He used to work at Donda with Kanye. Um, He's pretty much a big deal right now, but I've been following him for a very long time when he was still doing kind of mixtapes. And he's just a creative and the platform, social media specifically, and how we share information has really allowed his career to pivot a lot. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? It's so cool. I mean, his his background influences construction sites and architecture. So it is a very synchronistic kind of source for yeah. me. There's a lot of playfulness. It's a lot of he gets a lot of love and a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. And I think 
Um, I love it for all of those reasons. I I love it. I, I think that's amazing. And even like what you said, the fact that he has a platform to share, whether it is loved or hated. I mean, what a great, what a great way to have a career and your path and to even express your passions, right? Absolutely. I recently created an Instagram account for my two dogs. And that's the way yes. I've been expressing my passions lately as a dog mom. Let me just say I'm terrible at it. For all those people that have like Instagrammable pets or pets that are famous, like kudos to you. Cause like it's I a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And like I love my boys, but like I don't even take that many photos. Like I I fully applaud people that get brand deals for their pets. You guys are you yeah. guys are one Woo. of a kind. <laughs> I love it. Okay. What about your favorite reality TV show? Mm. So I watch a lot of bad TV, (laughs) Um, but I wouldn't necessarily call reality TV bad TV. I love, I have this thing where I just skip through episodes. Like I can't watch an episode, but I'm very into Love Island, the UK version. I've heard that before actually on this podcast. And they said it was the UK version. It's a great one. Oh Um, my God. I can't really watch TV. I have like a very short attention span, Mm -hmm. but I can skip through it. Mm -hmm. So it's like I, I start it. It's like, ooh, there's drama. And then I skip to the end, like, oh, that's how they resolved it. I feel <laughs> I feel good. And um, my husband laughs at me because it's like, I take it to the bathtub. I take it while I'm brushing my teeth. Like, I must know what's going to happen. So yeah, Netflix, Hulu, all of those uh, were the death of me. I love it. I love it so much. Okay, what about your like go-to self-love practice? Baths. I used to be a very big yogi. Okay. And that's a, a very important tool for self-love, but- the more busy I got, I've made excuses. Mm-hmm. Bath was just always a way that I couldn't use an excuse. And it typically started with a bath and I'd be doing emails on my phone until I would get so relaxed. That I was like, what am I doing? So mm-hmm. then I'd put the phone away, but I'd still be in like a lukewarm bath. Definitely my my favorite. I love it. You know, I've been actually trying to do like this thing where I try to leave my phone outside of the bathtub. I try not to watch like a movie in the bathtub and I like what I'll do is I'll put on like these like spa noises. Yes. It's so like, it's so nice though. And to literally just sit and like have like 30 minutes of not thinking. Yeah. My husband and I used to have like our life planning talk in the bath because it was like a good hour of no phones, no distractions, no puppies, you know, nothing just kind of water healing and conversation. It really is. You know, what's funny is that my dad, you know, he's been an entrepreneur. I've told you a story about my family and he used to have this thing where he had to have a jacuzzi at any house we lived at. And I never understood it, but every day after work, he'd make us, he'd make me dinner, whatever. I think it was like mac and cheese always. And we'd gotten out in the jacuzzi and he did that every single night and he still does. That's awesome. And I think you're right. I think it is something about, like you said, the water healing, being away from your phone, just decompressing is so needed. Such a stress reliever. Yeah. I think um, people always ask like, well, what's your best like trick on using social media? Because I suck at it. But (laughs) my answer is always not using it, taking a break from it, understanding what I want out of it. So Mm -hmm. for me, I, I think it's a it's a portfolio. I'm not looking for likes. I'm not looking for necessarily engagement, but I get a lot of unexpected engagement because it's organic for me. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that now on social media. You know, we're, we're seeing, you know, even though it's been incredibly difficult to really gauge Instagram and to really find a sweet spot of how you're going to grow or be successful, we're seeing a lot more of 
the people that truly are there for what you're showcasing are there, right? It's very yeah. cult, cult following-esque. Yeah, and I, I think that's really goes back to that same marketing. And I, I think at the core of all of it is authenticity. You know, yeah. if you're authentic, then it's going to show and people are going to like you for your authenticity. And I think what's nice about that is that if they don't like you, they just don't like you and that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to question it. You don't have to say, am I doing this wrong? Should yeah. I do this differently? Absolutely. So, Sarme, you've been an amazing guest on the show. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to go eat. My stomach's growling. I can't wait to sit in Luca and take a photo. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm here for it. But Thank I want to ask you one last question before we let you go. What does influence mean to you? Ooh, influence is power. Wow. Yeah. Influence is power. I mean, I think the more you redefine influence, if you continue to define to yourself what is influence, and you focus on the positivity, it just, it's power and it's empowering. I, I could, I don't think you could have said it any better. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and going Thank under you. the influence with us. Thanks so much.